Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. We are your very, very chirpy environmental news podcast where we bring you the latest on everything to do with the environment, climate, energy, the politics around it all. I'm Ant Sherwood. I'm an author of books about the environment. I'm a journo. I'm a moth lover, but we're going to get to that in a minute, aren't we, Elfie? We are indeed. Hi, I'm Elfie Scott. I'm a journalist and a writer and a person who has just gotten a fringe again and is unsure how to feel about it right now. You should feel good. Thank you. Thanks yeah. very much. Yeah. I needed that. Yeah. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we've got Labor talking about faith and climate. We've got electric vehicles in the ACT, climate misinformation algorithms, carbon in Australian forests, bees, Actually, a lot of insect news in general now, I'm just noticing that. Mm. But to kick things off, we're going to have a look at moths. Uh, this is some pretty big endangered species news, right, Anne? Can it's, you fill me in? It certainly is. Look, I was gutted. I was devastated to hear that the bogong moth is, you know, has been put on the endangered species list for the mm -hmm. first time this, this week. And for those who don't know what bogong moths are, they are a really, really um, keystone species in... Uh, the ecology of Australia's alpine regions. Um, there they are. There's one up on our screen now. He's a the big, fuzzy, thick things, aren't they? And I remember them always coming into the house when we were kids. They would come into the house. They'd blow in on spring westerlies. They they're aiming for the mountains, so they grow. They grow. They they breed in western New South Wales and Victoria down on the plains. Mm -hmm. And what happens is they fly to the high country in spring and summer, and they nestle under the big outcrops of boulders on the highest peaks in the land and of course the aboriginal people used to come and feast upon them in 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 summer um there, there would be a great meeting of clans and they would all go up and they would light fires under the boulders and smoke them out and turn them into a sort of nutty tasting paste wow okay They're basically you know craft peanut butter is uh, made of moths and and um you know, the moths, of course, didn't just sustain the Aboriginal people. They they continue to sustain all sorts of creatures up in the mountains, like mm. the mountain pygmy possum, which likes to eat them. It's not all they eat, but it does like to eat them. Uh, the, the mountain ravens, there are all sorts of species up there. And they are a little bit iconic because they did used to blow off course sometimes, as you say, end up in Sydney, furry kind of moths fluttering around windows. Yeah. Always could create a good office fight. I hate the moths. <laughs> I love the moths. I always used to go to bat, bat for the bogongs. And look, the bogongs have been noticeably, noticeably absent from the high country since the drought. Since the drought for a couple of years there that led up to the black summer of 2019, yeah, 20. Yeah, sure. 2017 to 2020 was the drought, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and their breeding just plummeted. And I don't believe it's been helped either by recent flooding in the Western Plains area as well. Right. And, you know, possibly the whole cycle of agricultural chemicals and all sorts of other things that we're feeding into the landscape are making life or the breeding cycle tougher for them anyway. Bottom line, Elfie, we have a really iconic – If you know, there, there wouldn't be more than two or three insects in Australia that you might call iconic. I really think the bogong moths are one, and it's, it's the little things that tell big stories in environmental news, Elfie. That's why we're leading this podcast, not with Scott Morrison, not with one of the big players in the environmental sphere doing a thing, but with a little moth – whose absence tells us a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really indicative of the larger way that Australia treats our ecosystems, right? Because yep. not only is the bogong moth on the new list by the International Union for Conservation of Nature, which is generally regarded as the biggest organisation to determine whether an animal is endangered, but we've got like 
1,800 other species on that list who are either endangered, critically endangered, or vulnerable. And there's been a significant amount of species that have been lost since colonisation. So I really think that, yeah, we talk about the moth, but we are in a much greater respect talking about these bigger symbols of how we are treating our environment. We certainly are. And just, you know, before we move on from moths, I believe Christmas beetles are one of the insects that are also down in numbers. Yeah, absolutely. So on the 7am podcast last week, my friend Cara Jensen-McKinnon actually produced this really interesting uh, episode talking about the loss of Christmas beetles, which you might have remembered emerging uh, around this time. Usually I've found a whole heap of them in my kitchen dead for some reason this year who <laughs> god knows why but um yeah uh it's moths and beetles they're disappearing as i say the little stories the big stories but but you know the biggest stories in the environmental sphere uh, at least from the human point of view, these days are usually about renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Tell us what's going on in Canberra. Right. So this week, the ACT have launched a new initiative where drivers can now apply for zero interest loans for electric vehicles of up to $15,000. So it's all about this big initiative to make electric vehicles more accessible in our country's capital. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting. It's, it's part of a new, bigger scheme for things like solar power panels and battery storage technology to be more accessible to people. And I think, you know, they've dallied around it in the past. They've tried to come up with some uh, policies to encourage people to buy these cars. But this is really like a very committed push um, on the part of the ACT government. The the ACT government is unlike any government in Australia. It's more progressive than any other government by far. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has a mandate to do that. It's actually a coalition with Labor and the Greens. And Canberra has the highest green voting uh, public in Australia. And it mostly votes Labor as well. Um, Its chief minister, Andrew Barr, is, you know, Australia's only openly gay uh, figure of, of, of... you know, power. Bloody hell, really? Yeah, they, they, see, people don't know much about Canberra, but it, it really is a green topia. So, and that's good for, for the point of view of this sort of thing because Canberra is a sort of place you can trial this. And, you know, as the Canberra Times has pointed out, okay, fine, what are we going to do about charging stations? Uh, what are we going to do about a lot of things? I mean, yeah. the, the, the roadmap, excuse the pun, with electric vehicles. Oh, my God. Okay, Sorry. you had to, didn't you? Yeah, but th- that was a valid use of the term, so I'm standing by that one. But <laughs> the, the roadmap is unclear. Um Okay, we we start buying EVs. Uh, mm-hmm. w- what next? Uh, is there charge rage as you queue for a charging <laughs> station? You know, there's a lot of um, unwritten things ahead. But but you know, as you point out, this week's news story is that the ACT is making zero interest loans for electric vehicles so that Canberrans can drive around roundabouts for hours and hours and hours and get lost without burning fossil fuels. <laughs> Good for them. And you know what? They are going to have to build a lot of infrastructure. You know, there was a headline in the Canberra Times this morning saying they're going to have to build something like 500 new power, yeah. power stations for those vehicles by the end of the decade. It's not insignificant, but, you know, I'm interested to see how it unfolds. Uh, and speaking of politics in general, can Mm. we move on to talk about Labor this week and their Faith and Climate Summit? Um, Do you mind walking me through this story? Because it's a little bit interesting. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, Elfie. The, the, um, the, look, the Labor Party has, is, is seeking to court religious voters, I think is, is, is the subtext to the story. But, Mm -hmm. but the, the, the headline, if you like, is that uh, Labor had a thing called a Climate and Faith Summit. 
uh, Albanese went to the summit. He spoke about the, the need for grassroots, grassroots mobilisation of people of faith to tackle the climate crisis. So yeah. they're trying to conflate, um, you know, religious groups with with climate action. And, and you know, it's it's partly an electoral move, but but hopefully you'd like to think it's a move in in, in the interest of the environment as well. Um, the Australian backdrop to this issue is not as bad as the American backdrop, where fewer than 50% of American uh, Christians believe there is a human hand in climate change. Mm. Fewer than 25% of American Pentecostal uh, Christians and uh, think the same thing. So in America, there's an active resistance to, b b with religious communities, uh, or with many religious communities, uh, linking the need to act on climate. Mm. Albo's kind of cutting that off here. He's saying, hey, I don't care if you're Muslim or if you're Jewish, what part of what denomination you are, let's get together and work away. And I think it's electorally significant. But as I say, that's the subtext. It's just a good news story, really, on, on the face of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think he, like you said, he had some interesting ways to sort of unify religions on this sort of pro-environmental basis, which is interesting. But I mean, yeah, Transparently speaking, we are coming up to a federal election. This is not a coincidental push. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, look, talking about uh, hidden hidden messages, if you like. Ooh, uh, good yeah, segue. Yeah, 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 well yeah. done. Well, look, it wasn't bad. I just came up with that then. But, Elfie, <laughs> um, I want you to tell everybody about the great climate misinformation algorithm study. What yes. on earth is this about? Okay, it sounds... Slightly more technical than it, you know what, I was about to say that. It's a pretty bloody technical. But point yeah. being, there were a group of researchers from Monash University's Climate Change Communication Hub, and they've built an algorithm to detect climate misinformation on the web. Uh, there it is. It's published in, I think it's published in Nature or one of the offshoots so of Nature Journal. Is, is this for, for like social media platforms and others, the way they can detect COVID misinformation. Is, is that what it's, it's about? It's theoretically supposed to get to that point. So I spoke to John Cook, who was the leading researcher on this, and he said that, you know, hopefully that is what something like this could be used for in the future to detect climate misinformation in real time. Um, but yeah, they, they found some interesting things about the way that misinformation has been tracking over the past couple of decades, because I think they put something like 20 years worth of like climate misinformation in there and they noticed some interesting trends so i am now going to play you some audio of my interview with john cook because it was really um he had some really fascinating points about where this was heading well um i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's getting worse uh, in fact there does seem to be a shift from science denial towards solutions denial more attacking um, climate solutions like renewable technology or mm. policies to to try to um, transition us away from fossil fuels. So I, I guess the biggest trend in our data is this gradual transition from science denial to solutions denial. Ultimately, I think the future of climate misinformation will be attacking climate solutions. Another prominent example that Australians will be familiar with is the talking point technology, not taxes, which is uh, really just trying to kick the can down the road, saying we shouldn't act on climate change now. Instead, we should wait and just invest in technology and hope that some magic solution will come down the pipeline in some, sometime in the future 
ignoring the fact that we have all the renewable technology we need now to be able to reduce our emissions. Yeah, so you can see he had some really interesting points there. So, you know, he was talking to me basically about how climate denialism used to be very rooted in basically saying the science is wrong, humans have no hand in the environment warming, but now it's just moved into this new space. Um, and, you know, there are more attacks on climate scientists as well for coming up with green solutions. It, it's interesting. And I think that, you know, now more than ever, these sort of um, these sort of technological ways of trying to curb misinformation are very relevant to us. They are. And, and John's been doing that for years. I mean, he runs a website called skepticalscience.com. Mm. Uh, skeptical spelt with a K, the American way. And, it, you know, if you've got that annoying uncle, why is it always uncles? Aren't anyone uh, who who wants to debate climate science with you? Just shove them at skeptical. Do you science. know why he came up with that? Uh, skeptical science, no. Because his father-in-law used to get angry at him over dinners, and they used to have massive arguments. There you go. That's where that's, it all came that's, from. That's exactly how it happened. <laughs> and, um, and and John is also famous. Well, before we leave John Cook, who's done this this climate misinformation algorithm study. John is Mr. 97%. He is the guy who did that study that showed that 97% of climate scientists in the world are in agreement of the, you know, the human hand mm. behind warming. Um, so he's an incredibly famous guy whose name you don't know, John <laughs> Cook. So well done you getting him on the phone, Elfie. He you was great. Get, I'm sure he was always getting the big talent. But let's let's move on to some quick news, bit of this, bit of that. Um, Elfie, why don't you tell me a little bit about Bees. Why is there a bee in your bonnet right now? Oh, why is there a bee in my bonnet? Actually, I just wanted to tell a really, very cute story. So this was in the Sydney Morning Herald this week. But the Swiss Hotel in Sydney have established beehives on top of their hotel roof, which is this part of a big new uh, push for urban beekeeping. I'm sure a lot of us have friends who have beehives now. Um, but basically, you know, they're keeping bees in the city and they're harvesting their honey for their very high class restaurant. So I think that's fantastic. Bees in the city, what? could possibly go wrong. I just hope they <laughs> beehive themselves. Now, um, oh my I'm so good sorry. Lord. Elfie, uh, I want to tell you about forests really briefly. There's a yarn I read in the conversation this week. It was um, by Tom Fairman, a guy who I really respect and who I've interviewed before. Tom knows the eucalypts of Australia better than anyone, especially the high country eucalypts. Basically, his story says that trees are not doing as good a job as storing carbon as we thought because of severe fires and and... Uh, as climate change worsens, we know those fires are going to become more frequent. Mm -hmm. We know that they're hotter when they happen. We know that rotting trees that have been burnt uh, give off a lot of carbon. So, so um, basically, our eucalypt forests are not the sink that we want them to be in the state they're currently in. What this all points to is we've got to get serious about alternative energy sources. We can't put all our eggs in the forest planting basket because our poor old forests ain't doing so good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But to end on a little bit of a lighter note, I would like to show you some cardboard houses. Oh. Um, so could you describe for the audience what we're looking at here? Um, yeah, a cardboard house. It looks like a little sort of uh, a pyramidical uh, sort of thing with holes in it in the middle of a desert somewhere. What's going on? So uh, that is a flat pack habitat pod. And speaking about bushfires, these are part of a PhD project from the Australian Wildlife Conservancy. And it's basically a little hut that they're establishing everywhere so that little critters can run into those after bushfires when they don't have a lot of coverage and they're easily picked off 
soft by things like birds and cats and predators. Um, so basically giving animal, vulnerable animals a chance at shelter when there's nothing else around. Well, it's good to see a flatback being used for something. I just hope the animals don't have to assemble them themselves. Oh, I know. Little trip to IKEA for <laughs> for a numbat. Sorry, little buddy. <laughs> all right. Well, that is all we have time for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Green Canary. Before we leave you today, uh, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and future, as well as extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Well said, Elfie. And everyone out there, please be sure to like us, subscribe us, follow us. We're at Green Canary Pod on Twitter. We're at Green Canary Media on Instagram. And we're not going to be here every week over summer, but we're going to be putting out some evergreen Green Canary summer content. So there'll be stuff to listen to here each week and uh, yeah and before we go i just want to let everybody know that we're running a fun little project on our socials over the summer that we'd encourage you all to get on board with we're getting listeners as well as our team who we will force into doing this to submit photos of themselves in their favorite place in the australian environment as we travel around the country these holidays so hop on our twitter hop on our instagram just submit your photos with a caption explaining who you are and why you love that place we can't wait to read them but for the moment we'll leave it there thank you so much for joining us and have a good one thanks bye bye